Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib. Welcome, friends, to the second episode in the series of episodes that I'm calling How to Live Beyond that I'm opening 2023 with. And okay, oh boy, <laughs> it's an intense one. Uh, to open 2023, each of these episodes, these How to Live Beyond episodes, will consider a set of tools or a way of thinking that are useful but that we're ready to go beyond in 2023. We'll be looking at things like abundance and manifestation, wellness and self-development, paganism, and more. The first episode in this series, uh, which was the previous show, featured Mitch Horowitz on how to live beyond the New Age. So that was all about what we can get from New Age and positive thinking, but also what we should reconsider and leave behind. These are all techniques and traditions we use to cope with and confront the challenges of our time, but they risk, if we can't consider them deeply, getting us stuck in those challenges, or worse, funneling their strengths back into those challenges. These episodes aren't a call to forget those techniques or traditions, but they're instead a call to bring forward what they've offered without the barbs and the problems that they're tangled up with. This time... (laughs) psychedelics and sorcery or spellcasting or magic psychedelics and sorcery it seems like everywhere we turn we are bombarded by messages about why psychedelics are good for you right now how we can magic ourselves into a better planet or against capitalism or against climate change it could be i don't know graham hancock advising everyone use ayahuasca um, to see reality for what it is or michael pollan detailing how hallucinogenics have health benefits and then there's all the hashtag witches of instagram stuff that's been brewing pun intended of course for a while now leftist spiritual podcasts and books on using magic to survive and combat capitalism Techies are (laughs) microdosing to support their lives, uh, and by extension, gentrification and class war. Feminists are reclaiming witchcraft. Marxists are talking about spellcasting on podcasts. Gay men are turning to Aleister Crowley for inspiration. And to make matters worse, (laughs) if you don't think that's bad enough, people who condemn using magic and mushrooms and magic mushrooms are even worse than all that. It's like religious fundamentalists, tanky materialist leftists, conservative fascists, edgelords saying that magic is woke, new age seekers, so on and so forth, none of whom seem to have any bearing in spiritual truth. What is going on here? (laughs) And does any of it lead to real and liberating spiritual inspiration and involvement? Or are we just getting driven deeper and deeper into materialistic culture, politics, economy? and the accompanying consumerism and brutality that comes with it. To talk about all of this and how to get beyond it, I asked spiritual teacher and writer Lisa Romero onto the show. This is the deepest I've ever gone on this topic. It's a pretty intense episode, and I think it thoroughly illustrates the dangers of sorcery and psychedelics, and how to think about them without becoming a foot-stamping fascist jerk or a tech hippie psychonaut enthusiast jerk probably also um and also without just throwing it all out what's actually on offer here what are the valuable lessons that can be provided what's useful what's outdated what spiritual techniques need to be allowed to die and be reborn 
Lisa's latest appearance on the show was on episode 200, which was a three-part episode where I had uh, past guests talk with each other and me. So on that episode, she and I talked with Duncan Trussell, and the three of us investigated this topic, particularly hallucinogenic um, and psychedelic entheogens, whatever you want to call them. Um, this is a natural continuation, but we go much, much deeper using the idea that accessing and commanding the beings in the realm of magic and psychedelics um, means accessing and commanding in some ways the beings of the astral realm. Uh, so we talk about this concept of the astral realm. Hopefully it will just all make sense when you listen to it, if you think that kind of stuff can make sense, which I do, um, and how that accessing and commanding is part of the adolescence of humanity, the adolescence of spiritual understanding. So what do we need to do to grow up in a way? And we also go into what we can do and how to approach the astral realm and go beyond it. We also talk about, and for me, this is a very touching part, a way in which uh, we can just be projecting spiritual ideas into the world because we're lonely or we feel longing or we feel rejected in our lives. And how to tell the difference between that and actual spiritual experiences, but also where the truth in that projection lies, because there is a truth in there. Just a little note here at the end, Lisa's giving a course on a lot of this. It's an online course called Navigating Realms of Consciousness, Practices and Insights from Western Esotericism. And that's on January uh, 14th is when it starts. And uh, if you sign up, there's a little thing that you can press, uh, a little button or whatever, where it says uh, special discount, uh, A-E-W-C-H, against everyone with Connor Beef special discount. And you get... Uh, 20 to 30 euro or dollars off the asking price. And that's at innerworkpath.com. I'm not getting any money telling you this. I just think that working with Lisa, taking a course with her is a great opportunity. And if you like the stuff on this episode, um, that's a great way to go do it. And also, if you can't be there for any of the dates, um, the first one or the two subsequent ones, you can um, sign up after the date and uh, get a recording of the streaming course. Um, and also, you know, chances are you're probably listening to this at some point in the future where maybe that course has already passed. And it's just a great site to go to for all of Lisa's stuff and where you want to engage with her, and that's innerworkpath.com. I get no money from advertising anything on this show, which is why uh, the show relies on uh, the love of the listeners who want to contribute via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. It's how the show keeps going. Because basically, with that, you're saying, hey, Connor, uh, I'm not paying you for your labor. There's tons of labor there. And probably, Connor, if you actually broke it down how much you get from Patreon versus how much time you put into the show, to your writing, to public appearances, it's actually not going to boil down to being that much money. But rather, I like what you're doing. Here's some money as a sign of kinship, as a sign of care, as a sign of gratitude. Um, I think one of the really cool things about Patreon is that you end up giving to someone whose work you really love, 
but also you end up engaging in a system or a structure of economy that's not about just paying people for their labor. It's not perfect. Of course, people who work at Patreon are getting paid for their labor. But if we can move away from expecting people to get paid just for their labor and everything they do in a certain amount of time with bosses or expectations or whatever, we can start getting into a much more kind of uh, brotherhood, sisterhood, otherhood idea of how economy could work. So you contribute to that model too. You move us in that direction. And I love that. So patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. If you do already support me there, thank you so much. All right, here's this episode. It's a long, deep, crazy episode, and I love it. And I'm very excited to share it with you. Me and Lisa Romero talking about how to live beyond sorcery and psychedelics. Here we go. everybody. It's Against Everyone with Connor Habib. Welcome back, Lisa Romero. Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Um, <laughs> so listen, the, the thing that has come up on so many recent episodes of this show has been what we who have some esoteric connection or training or understanding of anthroposophy in the Western esoteric tradition, we call the astral realm. We've been talking about magic, about hallucinogenic drugs, altered states, and how those, um, what those used to offer us and what they're offering us now and where they're sort of falling short of some of the challenges we have ahead of us. And I have been thinking about it for a long time, but it's come up, there was a direct connection with you and the show on this when I had you and Duncan Trussell on talking about uh, hallucinogenic drugs in particular. And he said, you know, he asked you about it and you said, well, you know, you can, if, if you want spiritual access, you can use them, but do you want to crash the party? Do you want to go in the back door to the party? And he said, wow, Lisa, he was like, <laughs> the, the being that I kept seeing kept saying, why do you keep, using the back door, you know, why he keep coming in from the back door um, when he was tripping. And then you were on his show and you talked about some of these things as well. So I think we'll start with um, entheogens, but I want to go past that and sort of talk about accessing the astral realm at all. First of all, what does that mean for people that are unfamiliar with it? Why is it so important to pay attention to that right now? And what are the various uh, spiritual pathways into that realm that we need to be a little more sort of vigilant or thoughtful about now? Wow. This is, uh, of course, one of those great questions. Um, first of all, I would say that the the most common term is the astral world, but it's also called the elemental world, sometimes the soul world. It's called 4D by some people. It has like a lot of names given to it. 
And so sometimes when we're naming, we work with the kind of uh, the one that's the most popular at the time. And, and the astral world would certainly be seen as that. And you could say that it is that realm of consciousness between what it means in the sense perceptible world, living in earthly life and earthly existence, and the atmosphere surrounding the sense perceptible world, the realm between the earthly existence and the spiritual world. So the astral realm stands between the two. If you if you were to uh, correlate that to the earth, you would consider the earth's atmosphere standing between, um, you know, and it's essential for the earth to have its own atmosphere. <laughs> and that's once you get beyond that atmosphere, you actually are in a different place, although it's deeply related to everything that goes on, on in the earth. So for the individual most people have a relationship to it without even knowing about it. So let's just say you go to a um, to a hospital and the hospital has a physical appearance of something, but it also has a atmosphere. Some people pick up on that really strongly, and so it is when you enter into a room where people have been arguing and no longer arguing, but you can sense the astral atmosphere the the imprint now in in one sense therefore we all have some relatedness to that why is it so important now is because humanity itself is becoming more and more connected or traversing the astral plane as a collective before it was more those that chose it or awoken to it or had a certain sensitivity. And we are seeing with the sort of unprepared perhaps uh, crossing into this realm, um, the, the fallout of that. Some of that fallout we probably put onto other things like the level of anxiety and depression that we are experiencing we might put that into the changes of the outer sensory world, but actually that can all be connected to what one perceives and experiences, although you may not see it in full consciousness, what is actually taking place in the astral world. So the astral world lives beyond the veil of sense appearance, but many people will experience it and pick it up. You know when... People are feeling things, you know, when someone's about to call you, you know, all sorts of things. And it doesn't make sense to the sensory world because it is coming through this other level of consciousness that we're all far more exposed to than we realise. Now, those that walk on the path of inner development do so in a certain way, awakening more strongly to the perception of that. So they're no longer just enduring it, which is what it is for the vast majority of people, but there's sense in it. And then there are those that can see it. So you're either in a state of enduring it right now, sensing it, but not possibly having a language for it or, or orientation to understand what you're experiencing or, you're, or you can see it and 
And even then, you may not always be able to place it in the context of um, all of the concepts you have about being human because Mm. we have this realm, but we don't know enough about it, although we we do need to now because so much is coming from there. Yeah. So let me just maybe say a little bit more there before we go into the ways in which people access and try to utilize what's there. Um, I think animals are a really good place to go with it for people to relate to um, for a lot of reasons. One, because animals are in some ways you can see them as these kind of physical representations of the astral realm because they, they are these extremely, they, they are their emotions, you know, their movements are their emotions, their behaviors are their emotions. It's not that there's a separation between the two, like with us, where we have this astral aspect of ourselves that we can um, examine through thinking um, and, and therefore see sort of the unfinished feelings and weathers of our astral body is what it's called. But why bring up animals is not necessarily even to talk about the astral body, but just to say when people see animals, each animal evokes a different kind of response. And in fact, so much so that we, if we see an animal repeatedly, or if we have an affinity for a certain type of animal, we'll often say that we have some sort of spiritual connection to it or, Oh, that's the animal that is the sort of messenger for me that something spiritual is happening. You know, and I'm talking mostly about people in Western cultures here. I'm not necessarily talking about people who are indigenous cultures who have pretty deeply cultivated in some cases, uh, societal and individual relationship to certain animals. But I do think um, for me, that's a good example because like, for instance, I have a friend who sees herons all the time. And when she sees herons, it's like a cue to her that something's happening. And so I think just like the hospital thing that you're saying, people have these, it's like a an indescribable, uh, very difficult to articulate kind of spiritual knowing that's connected with something that is very representative of that world. Yeah. And actually the, the, Animals are very significant to the astral plane. That's why we also have this this word astral astrality. But because the the group soul of the animal exists on the astral plane, and it's not an uncommon thing to be, that to be one of the first encounters, a, a, an animal of sorts, because the nature of the astral plane is the first realm appears very similar to the Earth's reality that we see, but there's always something a little different. So the animal may appear clearly like a horse, but it has some other element about it that you you realise, okay, now I'm. this is just not purely on the physical that I'm seeing this. And so often when people are meditating or when they are in that twilight zone in their consciousness, they may experience a a visual a visual encounter with something. And even though it lasts a split second, this is one of the phenomena of the astral plane, most people will say it seemed more real mm. than 
everyday experiences. Mm. And this is because the sense perceptions of ourselves, in a way, when they are no longer registering as the first encounter with a thing and it is registered more from this internal space, there's no veil, there's no blocking. And it is so um, potent, the experience, that you yourself are moved by the vibrancy of it mm. um, compared to seeing something in the earthly sphere. So let's say you pass a horse. Now, you may experience nothing unless you kind of settle into a tuning in. In the astral plane, when you're dulled in a way, anaesthetized sensing is diminished and you're experiencing on that plane, you can't not you can't spirit experience nothing. It's always an encounter with whatever you experience in such a fullness that most people being there will say, it's so real, it's more real. Mm. And that's what's so profound about that scene there. And it's also what's so tempting for people because they want to see mm. these things. And yet imagine not seeing but an encountering of something through the place of not sensing even where you have a little distance from it if that's there and I'm here, but rather you just kind of have to endure it. If you meet an energy, but you can't see it, you can't sense it, you now just have to encounter it. Mm. And that creates in the inner world anxiety. Mm. Imagine that something suddenly is encountered, but you're blindfolded. You can't sense it, you can't see it, but you are now impressed by it, more real than the than the chair you sit upon and that's what's actually growing the increasing increasing reality of anxiety which will continue on Mm. if we do not wake up to how to navigate and work with the astral realm and unfortunately our earthly way of meeting these spiritual transition is to try and dun- dull and blunt and um, uh, cut us off, but there is no cutting off actually. And if I was to express it like this, is that in order for you to go f- from childhood to adulthood, adulthood you, you have to pass through adolescence. <laughs> mm-hmm. In order for us to go from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity, we as a collective have to pass through the astral world. And you could say that the astral world is the adolescence of our spiritual growth. You don't want to get caught up there. And that, unfortunately, as you know, there are some human beings that just, they got caught there and they might be in their 40s, 50s or whatever, but they have not moved out of their adolescent um, growth phase. Yeah, humanity humanity will suffer if it gets caught in its adolescent spiritual development phase. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So, so much to say. So, first, just to sort of maybe give an example of that anxiety you were talking about, I just um, saw this play. It's such a profound play. I want I want to see it twice here in Dublin. It's called the the Weir. It's by Connor McPherson, and it's about basically a bunch of Irish people and one American woman in a pub in rural Ireland talking about encounters with fairies or ghosts. And one of the stories that one of the guys tells is, you know, he's he's having a sort of weird interaction with one of his neighbors. And then he goes home and he sits down in front of the fire and uh, he gets this sense that there's something behind him. And he says, I could not turn around. I did not move until the morning because I just could not look at what was behind me. And then as soon as he's done telling the story, he's like, oh, but sure, that's just an old cod. That's just an old tale. You know, who cares? We're just a bunch of guys telling tales in the in the pub. And I think this is a great illustration of what you said, where people feel the presence of something so intensely. And in this case, we would say it's a it's a ghost because it's in the play, but that does happen with people in the sense of the dead or ghosts or whatever. But <clears throat> then after the intensity, the the work of trying to articulate the intensity is also brushed aside. So there's no place for it to actually grow into understanding. So we could say this with a ghost, or we could say this with, I don't know, like maybe someone might have it with like a, a sense of connection that they really know they're meant to feel with someone, but they don't investigate it more deeply. I realize these things are kind of uh alongside some of the stuff we're talking about and not deeply going into it. But I'm just trying to give people uh, examples that they might feel in their lives if they're not going through certain spiritual development where they feel intensely a supposed to know or a, a supposed to understand or a supposed to go through. And, and it's there, unarticulated, unseen. And then at the end of the feeling experience, it's kind of banished with a certain kind of thinking and speaking rather than picked up as a responsibility. So that's one thing. And then when we go to the, when you're saying the adolescence, I'm thinking about the, the thing with the, um, that I've been saying a lot where lately the way I've been describing it is, you know, a lot of tools that people use to access the astral realm relate themselves to the moon in one way or another. Definitely see this with witchcraft. You see it with certain schools of spirituality. You see, and the moon card is in the tarot for a reason. Um, you see it uh, with certain uh, hallucinogenic use. And so we can, and the reason why I like bringing this up is because the moon if we're thinking about spiritual development as a kind of distance, we have to go. The moon seems so far away from us, but it's actually very close to the earth. And the real truth about the moon is that it's always revolving around our earthly body. It doesn't escape circling the ego. It's constantly around us and around us and around us. 
And we are going quite a distance. I mean, if if you're going to the moon from Detroit, I mean, that's a long way to go. <laughs> we don't usually go that far. But if we're meant to go past that distance and towards the sun, we see that that's actually just a really minuscule difference that looks huge. And in fact, a lot of esoteric traditions talk about, you know, the astral realm is relating itself between the space between the earth and the moon. Even people like Gurdjieff would talk about how the moon wants to eat us, he would say. I mean, you can see how it 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 shows up in this way. And so I don't necessarily want just yet to talk about the sun. I think we should talk about that because that is how we go sort of past this stage into a, a new stage of development. But just to now say, when we have that astral encounter and we begin to articulate it, go past the anxiety, go past the banishing of the encounter and into articulation, new things can happen that seem radically different from where we are right now. And yet in our time, at least they're just not far enough. That's actually, we shouldn't be tempted or merely tantalized by what we see in that short distance, which is actually also in some ways a very long distance to go. Yeah. Well, look, in in one way, all of your examples are right on because, you know, in different regions of the astral realm, you are encountering your karmic connections. So it's there that you're going to feel the potency of it, even if outwardly you the the people do not take it up in the same way and it is those um also those shells we also talk about these shells of the the last incarnation of others on the earth leave behind so we can encounter the kind of personality of the dead one not the essential being because that goes on into the higher realms of the spiritual world but the the personal shell that is there, left there so there's all sorts of um dynamics in this realm that have a consequential effect on us without us actually being fully aware of it and that that in a one sense is fine if humanity itself as a collective isn't sort of beginning to permeate this and in that sense what do we do with this realm of being well people turn to on one hand medication block it shut it down to illuminated a substance in another direction hallucinogens will do that but there is also a usefulness to bring the clarity of understanding because um the price one may pay for not meeting something consciously means that we have to meet it at a stage of our development when we've already passed through it. We know you know what that's like. If you're a child that gets chicken pox, eh, not such a big deal. You're a 29 year old that gets chicken pox, mm. much more intensive process. So we we recognize that things need to come in their right timing. And you you're right. I when I'm writing, when I'm trying to express it, I, I draw it as between the earth and the and the moon. Because uh, that's the way to really understand it's 
action of activity. Uh, and it's not all necessarily a, a, a space of difficulty because the hierarchies we might in the Western traditions call call the first realm of that the angels, they're also able to impress a guiding picture into that astral substance from the moon. And because of that, and the archangels working um, from Mercury, and because of because of that capacity, we also do experience in in certain aspects of it a real sense of spiritual connectedness. But how we get there, that will actually have an effect on what we receive, and that's where the lawfulness of the astral world is useful to understand because it's quite different than the lawfulness. <laughs> Of earthly life, mm. and it's if you have worked with certain um, real understanding. So, for instance, it's very useful. It's very useful to know what belongs to you as a thought form, as a feeling, as a impulse of will. What belongs to the other, and what belongs to the realm itself because it's very easy to get those things mixed up and so most of the time when somebody um, um propels themselves there through some form of gate crashing they are encountering what belongs to themselves and that is not an illumination of an objective experience of the realm it's just what's going on within their own being, their own subconscious, their own organs because of how that's been affected by the particular chemistry. And, and that's where the diversions can take place. So you can see that in in the earthly world is a great um, way of actually understanding that because in a certain sense when you're in a childhood relationship to the spiritual world you know there's the great god that's doing it all for you and you really are just being looked after or taken by the hand and as long as you do what the gods say you should do you'll you'll be fine but when you come to the astral world we we throw that off every teenager has to throw that out in some healthy way and say, well, what do I think? What do I feel? And if you haven't really done that, looked at the conditioned layers of your own interior world that has been imprinted upon by your education and your family and the culture that you've been brought up in, then you, you're just going to see a world that's pretty much like the world that you've come from. Mm-hmm. But if you've you've been able to really um, place those things, separate yourself, your consciousness from the conditioning, then you begin to perceive what is actually there and not just yourself and all that conditioning coming back at you. Mm. Yeah. There's so, so much to understand about that. Um, that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write more about it and, and do this course. But 
at the same time, my biggest concern is what does that do? What what do we do when we are just in a state of enduring and not not able to sense or see the the realities of of where we're headed, and uh, what are the reactions that might come from that? So one of the aspects, for instance, is identity crisis. That will happen more and more, just, not just for individuals, but for <laughs> groups of people, nations will go through this because that's a part of what takes place in this enduring encounter. Mm. I, I want to I pick up on something that you were saying there when you were talking about the organs. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> one of the things that I notice in conversations with people that are doing spiritual work that they think is somehow resistant to or chipping away at the oppressive order of things, let's say, a lot of times they'll talk about things in terms of uh, the body. So I know a lot of, like, let's say, we'll say some Wiccans, people that are doing witchcraft that they'll always talk about, oh, it's like, it's about being embodied. It's about being in my body, like this kind of like way of talking. And it's about the body of nature, all that sort of stuff. And um, so I want to just say that and say, also, we can see this in some other uh, other traditions as well. But let me just say what they're trying, I think in there to say is <clears throat> what they're trying, I think in there to say is something about um, the connectivity of the human body and the body, the ecological body, you know, the earth, the planet, all that. And that that's where the magic lies that um, people who are doing sort of transhumanism, singularity sort of stuff that they're ignoring the body, ignoring nature and sort of turning things over in favor of thought, uh, all that kind of thing. And I always find this very strange. I've always thought it was strange. Even when I was really interested in Wicca when I was, I don't know, like 11 or 12 or something like that. Even then I remember as a kid being like, Hmm, this is a little weird because, and now I understand a bit more to, and I'm able to relate it to something that you've said here, which is, it's not about, I am bringing my sense of my own material and physical body to the spiritual encounter. And I'm trying to stay in that integrity and just see the things that other people are missing in culture. Instead, it's what happens when I turn the gaze or my, my sort of inner sensing to my body and see how what I thought it was starts to fall away. What I thought was the world starts to fall away and become something else entirely. When you're bringing up this idea of, 
this idea, this truth of um, it's not just like what you thought it was, but slightly different or weirder <laughs> when you start doing the spiritual development. I hear something like that echoed so much in people that are doing magic, Wiccan styles of witchcraft, ecological magic, that kind of stuff, where I think it doesn't sound to me that different than, um, I don't know, say someone who goes to church and has what they're saying is a spiritual sacrament, a spiritual relationship with God, and then they leave and they just live their lives as they would have anyway, and there's no change. It's just sort of this thin veil of God on top of the things that they would have done anyway. It's not a profoundly transforming relationship that actually requires <laughs> uh, letting go of the entire framework. And that is very threatening to people. Um, and so even when they do something, let me just go on for one more second here. Even when they do something like ayahuasca, iboga, whatever it is, they're still encountering Yes, they're encountering something that feels wild and they're encountering these, you know, they are encountering these spiritual beings in this spiritual space. And those spaces are getting flooded, like, you know, Venice gets flooded by Taurus. So that changes the landscape and it changes the way people interact there and so on and so forth. So it's important to think about the density of these spaces. But they're also um, just bringing that back into life. And it's not transforming the everyday encounter with time, space, body, materialism, spirit. It's just kind of slotting itself in wherever it seems to be radical. And this is not to condemn people who are working with any of those things. I think that there are right ways to approach. There are more profound ways to approach. And I do think there are cultures that cradle, inform, and work with these processes better um, than others. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to say it's something that I see again and again and again, which is, I mean, we just talked about it before with the moon, a sort of marginal change that looks deeply radical because <laughs> we're so accustomed to a certain form of perception and conception and experience that a slight wild deviation from that looks like freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is quite it, it's such a significant picture because if we can live with this idea that we are all spirit, spiritually young and recognise that this is a necessity of a phase, but this is not where we're heading, but not heading to be here. But what what do what do you do in those first adolescent phases? You know, you, you you have this way of grappling with it or struggling with it that never looks pretty. And it often looks as though you may have um, lost a footing even. So the ideal, the ideal is to actually get through it 
um, not to get caught up in it. And of course, there's so much interest in curiosity, you know, possibility. But the framework of what I call as the industrialized interiority of our inner world, taking hold of something that is meant to transform us actually can make us greater materialists than before we ever um, entered into yeah. spiritual development. And, and that's the reason why you usually go in and do this so-called purification process first to really ensure that your interior world is not full of forms that don't really that belong to your childhood. You can't carry them with you. You have to take that step. And, you know, it is it is really a challenge uh, where we're at as a humanity because it will mean that some of the grosser forms of materialism will want to grasp this space. And outwardly we might see that as a, 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 a desire to be intergalactic as a people outwardly. There might be all sorts of things about transhumanism about uniting ourselves with machine, all of those things, because they're understandable reactions to a realm that we don't understand. <laughs> but I would say try not to take the um, the materialistic principles with us, but what is true in that material form. So certain aspects of the human being, you know, the human being is an image of this great cosmos. And so in alchemy, we would see certain organs related to certain planets and this extraordinary interconnectedness with the the world of nature and the world of the hierarchies. It's not as though we are, it's kind of separate from our living reality in the sense perceptible world. It's more about are we cut off from it and has the indoctrination of materialism become so strong that when we encounter the astral world we we place our materialism upon it (laughs) and therefore read it incorrectly and actually therefore get caught in it Mm. it is adolescence is a phase to be passed through in order that we receive our spiritual maturity you can't avoid it but the most mostly what happens with those in esoteric training is they learn to move through it readily and not, not get caught up in the highways and byways of astral life, but do their appointed task and move to that point of maturity, which that they may then look upon how to support that transition. What when we look at adolescence in the world, we think how do we support that how do we support them to come into adulthood not to how do we maintain them in their adolescence for as long as possible how do we make sure they stay adolescent for as long as possible we actually want them to get through it now most of us the vast majority of us look back at being 15 or 16 and we're like oh my god i would not want to live that again because (laughs) At the time, you think you've got it all, you know it all, you're resilient, you're, and you're suffering. So the the reality is, mm-hmm. is that the suffering part of this is going to cause all sorts of desires to 
that all the suffering, to get a sense of where we are, to understand it, even if in the understanding of it, I'm not actually transforming anything. And this is where it gets really tricky. Mm. And I do feel for so many seekers now that truly want to find a genuine relationship to the light beyond the moon <laughs> um, but are being only offered the path that leads us to um, this difficulty because of the materialistic interior world of which we we are in and face as humanity as a collective begins to shift in its spiritual growth. Mm. Will we get through adolescence? That's interesting. I'm not sure everyone will. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> when you bring up the suffering piece, it's so important because the deep identification with certain forms of suffering that we develop when we're kids, you know, that we suffer in such a way it becomes so important to us for others to witness the suffering that is mostly unseen when you're an adolescent. Some of it's not, no matter what it is, it's mostly unseen. Um, And it's so intense because your relationship to the astral realm is occurring and flurrying, you know, in in that time. And now, you know, there's so much uh, culturally, uh, and economically, um, where the cultural realm and the economic realm are so tied together, where people are deeply rewarded for expressing the the suffering they identify with. And <clears throat> I mean, just as a writer, like the amount of pieces that you get asked to write that are about like basically, you know, editors being like, "Tell me about the worst thing in your life. Like, write about the worst thing that's ever happened to you, and we'll give you two hundred bucks." you know, and and publish it on this online site that people will only see for, you know, a day and then they'll forget about it. So go deep into that part, you know, and then people are just sort of like, you know, retweeting that suffering. Like in case you missed this article about the time when my father beat me, here it is again. You know, it's like that. I mean, I've, I've done some of that myself. You know, I noticed how I identified with parts of my life that were in about intense suffering. But at a certain point, you you try to make the move where really it begins to maybe help others see or dislodge or work with the kind of suffering that they're feeling. But as long as it's, um, especially in sort of just essays and, uh, you know, co- sort of confessional posturing, as long as that's rewarded as, you know, or, or brought into uh, the attention economy as, you know, deep currency, that's going to be really hard for people to break free from. And it is, you know, and that's part of where you can see that adolescence happening culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when you're, when you're talking about sort of not getting distracted and we're not getting stuck somewhere, it's I've said some of this stuff to people before and what they will often say is like, Oh yeah, well, that's just like my Buddhist teacher saying, you know, well, when you start learning that you might develop certain capacities, don't get distracted by them. Just keep going, you know? And 
there is something different about it now that needs to be announced. It's not just about getting stopped on the path, although that is part of it. It's about the consequences of stopping on the path. Like you said, it drives you deeper into materialism than you were before you started, but then, and, and what materialism does to the world when you're driven deeper into it right now, but also what happens when you go past it. Um, And I was thinking a big part of that is the elemental kingdom and its relationship to us now in this moment and what it's asking of us where we can't just ignore the beings <laughs> that are all around and that, you know, um, sometimes pop out in interesting ways from our astral <laughs> encounters um, as weird little people or whatever. Um we can't just ignore them and keep walking the path because we actually have a different responsibility to them right now. So we have to learn how to manage the encounter in a giving way that includes going past the magical realm. We can't just ignore them. Um, you know, old fairy tales were always like, don't take the apple that's being handed to you by the fairy when you're on the path to the castle or whatever, because you'll get stuck there forever. Now it's like, <laughs> still don't take the apple and get stuck, but you might have to give something to that being because it needs your help. And so it's navigating that extra piece, I think, that makes this a lot different now in our moment. Yeah. So, yes. It, and this is where this picture comes together, really, because the elemental beings that also people the astral world as their substance they allow the, the the astral to imprint to become seeable they are in service they're in service now do we utilize them for our own selfish self-gain self-gratification self-manifestation what we want for ourselves are we going to utilize them or are we going to actually serve them as well and that's the shift that's exactly right it's more now and of course as as humanity grows into that realm we are also being asked to develop a different moral responsibility to the beings of the world now we see that now outwardly we see it in terms of biodiversity and our moral responsibility for the the planet and all those ways but actually we have this moral responsibility to, to those beings that keep that in harmony. And so when uh, uh, when we only see the world in a material way, we leave them enchanted into materialism. But when we recognise the beingness of those that help to create and form the substance of the earth, we actually help to, to liberate them, to bring freedom to them as well. Mm -hmm. Now, if I want those beings on behalf of my own manifestation that really is possible and magic works in that way mm -hmm. but would we now would we given that that actually binds us to mm -hmm. the lawfulness of that anything you do in the astral world anything that is done 
that is of your personal will is also undone, whether it be in this incarnation or in another, you whatever you've poured into manifestation, you've also set into motion its opposite response from the elemental kingdom because they it is a it's not under our charge to use them but in a way now to support the service of them all beings are on their way upwards so if we're on our way upwards how and we recognize that how do we work with all those other beings that are on their way upwards too and when we start to work in that way and this this is something that actually it came to me recently, what can we do that we know does not be undone or redone? And unfortunately, most of the things that we see that happen in our world, all, you know, all of the so-called solutions, we, we already know they're mm-hmm. going to have to be undone or redone because they, they didn't come out of mm-hmm. the right impulse. So who's behind it and who's holding that solution um, is ultimately beings that are that need to be supported in their evolution as well. And if they're not being supported in their evolution, it's going to have to be undone or redone. And you can't approach the spiritual world in this realm with your own desire for power and control and expect that that just will reward you it's just not true so we we end we're beginning to understand this but we're not fully cognizant of it and so that you know the in the dark arts they use these other lawfulness to try to think that they can misuse this manifestation realm and still um get through that golden gate at the end of the uh, run. But so it is complicated and it's also truly important that we learn to understand how to get beyond it. We can't stay in our adolescence. It's important. We have to go through adolescence though because you can't stay in your childhood. And as we move out of childhood, religion is going to alter. As we go into adolescence, we'll think we are already adults. Remember being 19 and you thought you knew everything? (laughs) And where we are right now, we actually, the technocrats think they can govern this world because they know everything now. But let's just admit to ourselves we're spiritually young, we're on the path, and that there's the humanic saying says, do not stop on any step, no matter how high, or it will be a snare. And each of us individually has a responsible for what that is. For myself, I have to stay on the edge of my own development and not stop on that step, Mm. whatever it is. I must learn all about it, but I can't stop. If I'm not there at the edge of my development, then I'm also not with this force of reality of working with this living spiritual world. Mm-hmm. If you get stuck in your astral, if you get stuck in your teenage years, it's not a pretty picture. We all know that. We all know that. And unfortunately, there are certain incidences. You can you can meet somebody, for instance, that's had a heroin overdose at the age of 16 
And it's a really unfortunate thing because you're you're meeting an adult that stands in front of you, which is, you know, 40 years old, but you experience a 16-year-old energetically Mm. because at that point there was something happened there. Now, of course, there is a way to transform some of those blocks and the real way forward is the way that we spoke about before. It, it, if you have been blocked and you're not, not able to use the clarity of your thought life because of what has taken place in the um, in your own growth and development, you always have the possibility of using your heart forces. Mm-hmm. The heart will always help you to to get through that and one of the reasons I, I, I wrote that book a bridge to spirits looking at conscious development and and consciousness altering substances was to be able to put that picture out there that the heart will always actually help us to transform because the heart in its nature belongs to the sun so it wants to lead you home mm. And the moon is not your home. The moon is the adolescent phase of which we must pass through. Um, but nevertheless, the heart knows where its home is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> where to where to start with that? I think maybe we will come to a little later about the heart and the heart forces and the sun. I want to keep sort of putting that off in a way because um, I want us to leave with those images and that message and maybe something we can do together. Um, uh, I'm thinking first about being on the edge of your spiritual development and how that actually is in some ways a redeemed form of guilt and shame. Like we think of guilt and shame as terrible things, but when we redeem them, when we give them the kind of light that they deserve, rather than allowing them to wallow around and like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't know, I had sex with someone that I don't feel great about having sex with, or I um, stole something from the store that my mom owns, or I lied to my teacher, whatever it is. All of that really is saying, okay, well, you had an experience that you didn't really look at. And without any judgment on any of those experiences, it's like, what's the part of it that you need to look at? That's going to be different for everybody as well. So it's not a a demand of any of those experiences. But when we talk about, you know, I need to be on the edge of my spiritual experience, it's like, I need to go further. I need to look deeper into this. I need to be propelled forward into uncertainty constantly into um and 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 bringing what i am and my ability to look and even that will change as as i go forward so i just want to point that out to people who might be listening and feeling you know as i did for a long time i mean i did black magic when i was like 8 years old you know and i felt terrible about that my whole life and so I can only imagine what certain people who are listening or, or, you know, have gone through with certain experiences in their life. Um, 
that guilt and shame becomes redeemed when you make a vow to, or the oath, however you want to describe it, to keep moving forward in your spiritual development. When we talk about meeting those elemental beings and finding out how to be in service to them, I want to just make a little note here because I think what people might hear when we say that is, well, I buried a penny at the foot of the tree. I tied a ribbon around those branches. I created an altar as an offering, all that. I'm not saying to not do any of that, by the way. I think that some of those are actually, maybe, maybe the ribbons around the tree branches, maybe not so much, but some of the other things I would say maybe are actually worthwhile gestures, um, especially depending on what's being evoked inwardly as you enact those and certainly altars to ancestors and stuff. That's actually, I think a different um, category of thing, but I want to say that that's not what's meant by offering to be in service. A lot of times those things are done because in a moon way, which is, hi, I'm the moon. (laughs) I'll give you light as soon as the sun gives it to me. And then I'll give it to you and I'll give it to you fleetingly. And then I need more from the sun. So it's to be careful to not, it's not an exchange. (laughs) It's an offering with no, with, with nothing expected. And I know that that's hard to do. And so I don't want people to think, because I'm not there yet. I, I don't want people to think like, oh, I have to expect nothing before I even interact with these forces. This is just not true. And and by the way, if you do that, you'll probably never encounter any of them anyway. You have to meet them where, try your best to sort of meet the spiritual world wherever you're at and pay attention. Um, But this is, I think, starting to illuminate some of the differences between the kind of spiritual work we're talking about and sorcery. And in sorcery, I would include spell casting. I would include certain forms of magic, including ceremonial, certain forms of ceremonial magic. I would include doing entheogens in certain ways. And just to sort of go down that list a little bit, it's like people do ayahuasca or mushrooms, and uh, they do it for self-development. They go, they visit the snake anaconda thing that gives them all these bright colors and they bring it back into their lives or they microdose. And, and it's not a surprise to me that a lot of transhumanists are the people that are doing these, uh, you know, people that are interested or work in tech are the ones that are doing these drugs so much, of course, or going to Burning Man or whatever. Um, so that's accessing the spiritual world for self-development. Then there's magic, which is I'm going to command the beings that I encounter to get me what I want because everything, but well, and that's depleting the beings that actually need to be given to. (laughs) So it's, it's missing the picture. And then I think there's also a kind of a, Hmm. Um, yeah, there's a kind of, uh, uh, sort of new age spiritualism kind of thing, which again, it's the kind of psychic clairvoyant thing where it's like, I'll contact them to get what I want. It's not as forceful. It's not a command, but sometimes the way that it's done through channeling, through 
seances or whatever is constricting uh, the being as it sort of brings it down into the earthly realm, it's, it's actually probably a terrible experience for those beings in some ways, um, or allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by the being that you're channeling. All these things, I think, um, uh, one more, which is uh, like eco magic, where people are, again, sort of worshiping trees, animals, rivers, all that kind of stuff. It's important to acknowledge the spiritual aspect or the, the spiritual truth in those um, beings. But a lot of times it's just actually sort of vaguely appreciating the material form. <laughs> and that's not really that much different than just a sort of spiritual tourism. Yeah. So we're talking about something very different. And all those things are at this point becoming more and more popular. And it doesn't surprise me that they're becoming more and more popular in conjunction completely with the rise of uh, AI-generated um, images, AI-generated words, AI-generated sounds. And first of all, that's not none of that's AI, and I wish people would stop calling it AI. It's just algorithmic. It's just <laughs> paying attention to certain patterns. It's not AI. But okay, the interest in AI, calling things AI, all that sort of stuff, that's all on the rise. And these things are all deeply in conjunction with each other because people are seeking spiritual substance at a time where it feels like that's not quite as available or as some sort of countering to all of that, but they're just walking hand in hand. So one, I want to just sort of talk about that overview of sorcery, but then two, I want to talk about how those two are marching forward, holding hands, you know, as companions. Good. Fantastic. Yeah. I think that's actually really um, interesting how they are working together because in a certain sense they seem like opposing streams, but they have one thing in common and that is that you stay in this particular realm and don't move on. So if the if the goal is to waylay us on the path of our own development, it really doesn't matter which way of which we are waylaid in that um, understanding. Um, however, however, there are some shifts that have been occurring. So my experience has been that in these astral planes, they have over the last while become more densified, indicating far more materialism is entering into those realms. And I would say that looking at where we are as a collective in this realm, uh, in this landscape, and looking at the densification that's taking place, we would say that the sort of uh, traction of materialism is gaining a really intensive foothold. So one of the things, and this may not appeal to everyone in a, as a thought process, but I really look out for those thought streams that, 
deny the existence of the spiritual world altogether. More than those that go into the spiritual world but go in there half-baked or not really understanding it or or, or not even um, uh, recognising the task or the mission in it in all the various ways because that that has still its um, schooling that can be had. But once you've identified someone to the purest state of materialism where all you are is chemistry and all the world is is building blocks of Chem- and therefore, why not adulterate and adapt it and so forth? That that's going to be hard to shift in the future, and it also creates this echo effect into the astral world, where those coming in at the earlier stages of their development are going to keep saying, "This is just like the sensory world," where it isn't because they're densifying those lower realms. Mm-hmm. If we can get beyond the, the fourth stage of the astral realm, then we're much more supported there by the hierarchical hierarchy is a word, isn't it? A word the hierarchy is always yeah. thought that's a troublesome word, but hierarchy is that <laughs> growth and development rather than those that are um, working in that diversion. And, yeah, so, uh, I think it's really interesting that we must find our way forward. You know, we must keep making our way to the spirit, um, come hell or high water, as it said, because it, it's, the, it's the stopping of that which is more detrimental to the human soul and growth than it is, say, you enter into a new age um, idea where you think that we're all upgraded and we're all almost angels, even though we're all still very young. You know, you hear people say, well, we're co-creators with God. Well, we we are and we're still mm. spiritually very young. But that's a much easier um, transformation to align to the esoteric training that will give you the pathway um, to the sun sphere than that which um, really only sees the material as true. Now, of course, spiritualists can become utter materialists in the way that they function because if you meet the shell of a deceased loved one and you believe that's all that they are, you really make this this astral world into just like the physical and you you, you sp- you give your energy into densifying the beings that want to be raised up there instead of um, being brought down <laughs> into the to the least that they can be. Mm. And I think every one of us understand that there are those in your life that want to bring you down to the least that you can be, and there are those in your life that want to raise you up to what you could be. And it's an interesting dance we have to endure each one of us. How do we participate in the lives of others, not just the people that are close to us, but also those that we don't know, and also those beings that we yet yet to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's so... 
there's so much to think about there. And I think maybe, uh, I think maybe we've sort of danced around this a little bit. with just sort of talking about what those beings are asking for from us. Um, because it's important to talk about that. If we're going to be saying, let's not misuse them. Let's not, you know, sort of get into it. I, I think, one, I just want to say to people as well, like all, all of it, it's all, everything we do is wrapped up in these beans. So in one way you could say, you know, when I go get a glass of water from, you know, the sink or when I'm talking to a friend or when, you know, I go swimming or whatever that these things all, I mean, the most daily things are wrapped up in these beings, including the composition of our own body and being here. So we can't just say, don't mess with them. That's impossible. And the rule is that we are, (laughs) that our incarnation is basically uh, an alighting into a field of these beings that congregate and collect themselves and gather in different ways for different functions and purposes but it matters how (laughs) how we use them how we approach and i do and i do think that to that end also we should talk about as i was just saying like well what is it that they want um and how do we live up to that um and what's okay and what's not okay, that sort of thing. Obviously, it's all, in a sense, okay. Everybody needs to encounter and develop their own freedom and compassion for others. But, you know, let's also say some of it's okay, some of it's not okay. (laughs) That's an easier way. It's it's just a little bit of a shorthand for talking about things. So, so what what do they what do they want? I mean, I'll just add one thing here, but then I'll let you go with it. Um I mean, for me, I've talked about this before on the show and I think I've talked about it with you too. Um but you know, in Ireland here there's a there's a old story about uh where the fairies come from, where the beings in the other world come from, and it's that they were um angels in Lucifer's army against God who fell to the earth and uh and didn't go all the way down into hell but like fell and sort of got stuck as being in the earth <laughs> and that's where the fairies come from now obviously this is a story that the catholic church might have told to incorporate um these older beliefs into somehow fitting into catholicism so people didn't have to give them up completely because it was too difficult to actually just completely destroy the narrative but there's a truth there because then those beings are still seeking to be redeemed and allowed back into connection with the heavens or Christ or whatever, you know, version of that you want to say in a certain way. Well, Christ is pretty important. You can't just say some other version, but um, so they're seeking a form of redemption that includes human action, attentiveness, and uh, a and relationship. Um, so I want to start with that and say, how do we 
work with that. <laughs> how do we how do we do it? Um, and I know it's individual to people as well as there are some basics there. And uh, also, what else you might add to that? Yeah. Well, I think the first at this stage of where we are, the first thing would be recognition to recognize them. And that's not necessarily in the scene, but to be in a inner relationship that recognizes those beings. And anyone that has worked in it for even a short period of time, say even with a, a well-loved tree, you begin to realize that it's not just a tree once you recognize and acknowledge it. It begins to also recognize you so the next thing is relationship the recognition and then build in a relationship mm -hmm. now, the difficulty with that is that that could be seen as just pure fantasy if we have not looked upon our own inner state and seen what it is that we why we want to be a part of that recognition, that relationship that then can be loved and then redeemed through that pathway. And we do need to do some of that sorting. Otherwise, we're placing upon the elemental world or this realm of consciousness of other beings the dynamic that we place upon other human beings, which is really often our own empty story or longing story or um, fearful story. So we just want to make sure that we're not taking our childhood imaginings into that relationship. So one of the things that you meet in adolescence, and I often talk about this because I found this so useful for adolescents to understand, these three human conditions, which is fe feelings of loneliness or isolation, Fearing rejection and looking for acceptance and feelings of longing as though you're missing out on something with three human conditions. Everyone has to experience them. If you're an adolescent and you're in 15 years old, they're probably rocking in you. Now, if you can learn to bear them, not get rid of them, but bear them, you go through a maturation process. If you can't tolerate them, it's likely that you will go through all sorts of ways to try to deal with them, isolation and loneliness, right? So if you look at what is being told is wrong, is to feel those things right now. I know they're difficult, but they are a part of what you have to face spiritually traversing the astral plane. You first become aware of it in your adolescence. But if you've learned to bear it, it, you will see that it becomes something totally different when it comes to your spiritual development. Isolation, lone, solitude, loneliness becomes a transformative force, not one that you want to run from or cover up, but one that you want, you, you seek for. And when an I, a soul that can bear solitude, deeply bear solitude, goes to work with nature beings, they go out of a different gesture mm. than a soul 
that cannot tolerate solitude and so looks for things to be there that aren't necessarily there so at least someone's with them even if it's their own shadow of the sun but that is where we will project upon this world and create a fantasy relationship if we are unable to tolerate this very important soul experience of human adolescence that becomes the spiritual development in this time in our astral world. Now, if you look around the world at the moment, the idea of tribalism and finding your tribe and being with the people that get you and understand you, I understand all that. Yes, and that's also useful, but that's not actually what's going to grow in the human soul. So if you can learn to have this relationship to solitude, you will then not carry all of your disturbances into those other beings' realms. I need to have a relationship with spiritual beings so I can actually have that plugged up in me. Again, the fear of rejection or looking for acceptance, it's such a major player in the psyche of the adolescent, but it is such a major player now in our collective psyche. And look at look at how it's playing out in the world. <laughs> it's so extraordinary. Uh, all right, can I just I just need to say something about this because it's really first of all, it hits <clears throat> home for me because I used to sit I remember being in Pennsylvania and sitting in a field and looking at a spot on the ground and being like, come on, you fucking gnome, gnome, just show up. I want to see you, you know, and I would just put everything into it. And, you know, I told someone years later about that, who was a spiritual teacher and he just laughed and he was like, they're probably just like, they, they were there and they were probably just like, what the hell is this guy doing? Because you, it's like you cut off through doing that, the exact means by which you would receive, but it's hitting home for me because that is true, was true and is remains true for me that I go out into the world experiencing spiritual beings a lot of times out of the longing to not be alone. Like when I moved to Ireland, I knew, and I was very alone for a long time and then was lockdowns. And so, you know, I, I, I knew like, I would talk to my house. I would talk to the, the stray cats and the birds, and I would talk to the tree outside and all that. And I knew that I wasn't quite getting at what I was meant to encounter. And I would even talk to Ireland itself. And it's very interesting because this is what atheists who talk about religion, they're like, well, you're just using religion. Like religion's just to comfort you, right? It's just to make you tell you a story to make you feel better about how the universe works. Now, of course, that's a completely absurd way of looking at things on, on, on one hand, because atheism can just be, I mean, you can say the same thing about atheism, but also there are plenty of things about religion and spirituality that are completely not comforting, but they are. So they're not true about the, the, they're not right about the truth of the spiritual world in general, but they are correct about the way people go to meet it. But then the interesting part is even when I'm saying hi to the magpie or the tree or whatever, or when you're 
younger and you go out and you like just imagining your imaginary friends, your spiritual friends, whatever that are around you, because you're bullied in school or you're a lonely kid or you don't have a lot of friends or whatever. The part that's true is that you know to do it, is that you know that they're there, that the impulse is within you to reach out. So there's a deep knowingness. And that that is there whether you're projecting or not. And to the extent that the projection can lead you back to the truth, that actually when you project, <laughs> it gives the light back to you from your own projection. <laughs> so you're radiating out and then seeing your own light, you can trace that back to the center. And that I think is, um, and I, and so, so even when you project, you're doing it from the place of knowing very often. And so you look to that aspect of it rather than I'm just imagining the being being in front of me or imagining you know, uh, the tree hearing me or whatever it is. Yeah. No, I think you've got it. And you've got exactly the process that goes on in that first realm of the astral world. If someone has the recognition from either past what they brought with them as a capacity or through this innate knowing that the spiritual world exists, but they haven't cleaned up the part of them that is in relationship to it. So once you've cleaned that up, which is part of our, you know, in a training where you you manage solitude in a totally different way, and actually um, it becomes a companion, like a <laughs> that you deeply regard. Yes. Then then you have an objective ability to understand the world. The other part which happens in adolescence, as I've mentioned, is the fear of rejection and looking for acceptance. Now, that has to be taken deeply in the responsibility of your own hands. No one else can give you that. No other teacher, no guru, no, no, no person on the path. This is between you mm-hmm. and your divine ideal. You, you monitor your life according to, and you've already touched on this before in what you're saying, but you monitor it according to what is genuinely true out of the understanding that you're at right now, knowing that we're all spiritually young and we're growing. So I have to test myself against my own divine ideals, Mm. (laughs) knowing that that that's still not complete and full, but it's still in its becoming because every step I take, it grows in a deeper understanding but I weigh myself against that. Not someone else is going to reject me. Not someone else is going to accept me if I say that. And then so you see so many people that, you know, begin this journey and then suddenly they start to adulterate it according to the audience acceptance, likes and dislikes, rather than actually their governing force, their own spiritual governing force. Mm. That, so obviously the solitude brings you into a deeper connection with them being able to bear that. And then we also have to bear what is referred to as kind of like a a spiritual longing, a longing meaning that you, you recognise the part of your soul 
that knows it's not um, complete yet because it calls you forward. It's calling you, like Rumi says, what you're seeking is also seeking you. It is the seeker. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to able to go to these beings with that, those mysteries intact, not as a teenager has to do, which is the teenager just bears them, but as we do when we have lived into them and let them ripen something in us, mm. then actually we can have a far more objective relationship and begin to learn about their realm and therefore they, in that relationship they also teach us. Totally. It's so important that you say that for people that, are doing spiritual development through entheogenic substances, right? Like there's a difference between seeing the tiger in the zoo and seeing it in its environment. There's this very specific and narrow um, entry into the realm where you see the, the beings that you see when you do substances, Again, I do think there are certain pathways for some people that they can go in and actually work with that world. So I say this like every time I bring this up for people because I don't want them to feel condemned in their freedom and or, or hear me say something and be like, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore. I mean, not that I think I'm so powerful that people would be like, well, I just bought all these mushrooms and now I'm not going to do them. <laughs> but, I, but I do think that it is given to some people. To, to work that way, but it's less and less, less and less as the medicine becomes less and less useful, as it becomes more and more diffuse because it's trying to go through its own sort of death process as well. I think that when you go and you see that fixed being, which is becoming more and more fixed, the more and more people go and visit it with the same expectation of what they're going to see and bring back, of course, it's becoming more fixed. You know, any, any, any band that gets famous for playing one song is going to keep playing that song at every concert they give when people go see them because it's where the magic is, you know, and those beings have uh, their own, you know, (laughs) way of encountering us too. It's not just one-sided. So um, what instead would happen if you saw it in its real state? That would be something quite different. I don't know that most people would really want to interact with it that way, by the way. And I do think that some people who are, whose, you know, karma or destinies are leading them into real shamanic paths do work with those beings in those ways as well, not just through substance portal into this, you know, exhibit. Uh, So, yeah, I just wanted to say that I really appreciated you saying it in that way where it becomes fixed. Yeah. And so for, for my understanding is that if you are able to encounter them, and and this goes for the astral realm too, because in the astral realm you're not seeing them as they are, you're seeing them as they are in relationship to what you carry within yourself. So if you manage to sort of school yourself, then they can reveal themselves and not just reveal you. 
That's right. Yeah. They are revealing themselves. My experience is that always giving you a doorway right. to the next step. They never go, oh, we'll stay here and we'll just continue to dance around this same ring for the rest of your income. No, there's a doorway. <laughs> and there are certain indications, ways of finding yourself through those doorways so that you may um, ultimately enter into what we could call the true spiritual world. Obviously, we could say this is the spiritual world, but it's not. It's a semblance because it's it's to do with the dynamics of your internal space with the external space. And you really don't get to go through those doorways unless you've cleared that up. You'll just get more doorways that appear to be going somewhere. Right. And that's here of the pathway that is a gate-crashed pathway. Um, so where are we headed? Why do we want to get to through adolescence and into our <laughs> adult spiritual life? What's the point? Surely adolescence is far more fun. Well, not, not really, is it? <laughs> no. Once we do get through that, then actually one of the things we do in our spiritual matur- maturity is we – we know how to help others. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because ultimately the true shaman is there to help others, that it's not to um, uh, to profit for themselves as the profit, but to actually help in this bridge between where we are in this potential materialistic view of the world which is intensifying exponentially to what is possible as we evolve on our spiritual journey. And so the, the, the collective, if it gets caught in adolescence, well, there is always a consequence because the lawfulness of this realm is to place out its opposite um, process. So we will find ourselves being really um, knocked around is not quite the right word, but swinging between experiences and not ever finding a foothold of truth and beauty and goodness that we know is the mm. way forward as a collective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one way I would say that is just, I, I want new problems, you know? I'm tired <laughs> of the old ones. Yeah. Um, Maladoma Somme, who's a, a, a shaman who I, he he said to me once, like, look, it's like, when you get a driver's license, you graduate into a new danger. You know, that's what it's like. You, But you want to graduate into that new danger. You want to, you know. Um, I was thinking as you were describing that adolescence about just the sexual arousal and impulse and how how like all this that is. The, the way that when you're a teenager, you're so horny, you feel like you're going to explode. It's constant arousal. 
you know, your teacher says, I don't know, your your teacher says something, some abstract, you know, like algebra, you know, and you, you get an erection. <laughs> like, it's like the most absurd things intersect with this self that's constantly in agitation and, you know, and has this intensity. So that intensity and agitation and arousal comes before you know what to do with it, really. It shows up, it becomes so intense, and then gradually you have to learn what to do with it, or you'll be a bad lover. You won't really know how to have sex. And when you do know how to be a good lover and you do know how to encounter desires and work with them, you that's way better than being an adolescent. You might look back nostalgically and be like, oh, wasn't that so cool when I was hyper aroused all the time? That was really great. But honestly, let's face it, this is better. Like it didn't feel good when I was in it. It feels good looking back on it for sure sometimes, but like it didn't doesn't feel good when I was in it. And so I think, you know, and the interesting thing with that too is that spiritual experience, understanding, encounter, like desire, they all take the most absurd shapes for us before we start to understand that. And they're very individualized. It's not exactly like sex. There's lots of differences there. Um, but it has this very individualized quality that you can barely even communicate to someone else. And the moment you try to communicate to, with someone else about it, you, you kind of bend it, you lie about it a little bit just to like be able to talk with your pals about it. And then that can redirect actually the entire desire set. It's so weird how it really relates to adolescent experience very, very much so. Yeah, well, it's, it really is the adolescence of our spiritual growth. And, you know, humanity's there and it's not going to be pretty. There's going to be a lot of pimples and a lot of, <laughs> of uh-huh. stuff and a lot of interest in dominance of power over, which is actually the diversion of that sexual force. But the way through that is to understand that that is the journey and we don't want we we only want to hang out in adolescence for what how long five years at best it's not you consider your adulthood it's a short period of time but it is difficult and it is where we lose people you know it's an interesting thing of Mm. mortality rate in children because you know there are forces that have not yet been developed but you've got all of the idea that you've got it You've really got it, but you haven't got it. And we can see all that even in neuroscience, how true that is for the adolescent brain. So how we traverse that, and this is where it gets really interesting, is that there's such a dynamic in in the outer world, you're always corrected by the facts. You can say, I can drive any car at any speed, and then you get the facts. <laughs> in the <laughs> in the astral world you're you're not corrected by the facts you're diverted Mm. by them Mm. so you think you're now excelling in your spiritual growth and development Mm. and i've had many conversations with even with closest friends that said look the mushrooms were so important part of my spiritual growth and development until they experience what's beyond the astral and then they go i get it i get 
what you were trying you, you can't get it till you get it and that's just part of it and mm. but you, you also we all have to go through our adolescence so how do we go through it for some they go they they try to blot it out and that's the nature of it if you can't talk to someone to the person you're sexually attracted to you you get drunk so you can mm. do it you know, and yeah, if you've learned to cultivate the language that allows you to to communicate, you don't need to. It's a kind of inner confidence, and all that is what esoteric training really, 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 really provides for the soul life. It has a foothold and a spiritual confidence that lets you navigate all those incredibly wild parties and learn a lot but not get stuck there. And, you know, at the same time, you also may not even need to go to half of those parties because you're already able to find the path that's your way of giving to the world. And some some young people already get clear about that earlier on. Now, there is nothing wrong with the way lane. There's so much that is learned, but make sure we understand that we're learning understand that we're spiritually young and understand that this phase that humanity's in, we do need to school ourselves through it. Um, mm-hmm. But we know where we're headed. And if you – I'll c- keep coming back to this because one of the things I've noticed with even those that have got very waylaid is that they can trust their heart. Their heart knows the way home. Mm-hmm. But so to anchor to the heart, if you have lost your ability to anchor to the objective capacity of thought, you, you, you must find another anchor point and the heart will never hmm. betray you in its truth. Now I say that because, um, there are other forces, you know, how your heart can think that someone is the love of your life until they <laughs> they're not I mean the antipathy of that so, but that's the whole that's a whole nother that's a whole nother story that's a whole nother story and that I mean maybe they were the love of your life just not this life you know I mean that's <laughs> another that's another thing that's the karma of it all the yeah. other thing you mentioned there which I don't want to just pull up that point is about the lie lying is one of the things that will really trip you up in the astral world because that lie has to come back because it's lived in your soul and that means you're getting more distortion. So part of the training is honesty, truthfulness, that truth has to stand so high in your esteem and the ability to evaluate yourself with that much honesty because it will just hold you up in the astral world if you're constantly confronting your own lies because they will come towards you as spiritual pictures but they're totally deceptive but they're your deception now there are a few lawfulness aspects that i'd say one is if you name who's behind the image it has to reveal itself but that requires a certain amount of esoteric insight and wisdom but if you love the image it also has to reveal itself and anything that's not you changes its form. But if it's you, it maintains itself, and therefore you know you've got to still deal with it. 
So that's why the heart is such an important tool because not everyone will, will follow the schooling of esoteric wisdom to be able to identify things like a, a botanist could in the astral realm, but we can all be basic gardeners and that's we can all, you know, see what needs watering, see what needs weeding, mm. and that's where the love of the heart will get you through. And yeah. that's an interesting principle that what you love on the inner planes, if it transforms in the loving of it, it's not yours to deal with. But if it remains the same, you have to investigate why you're taking on that thought form, belief system, feeling process. Yeah, I mean, and just to to bring that to the sorcery thing, like the naming, so if if you... <laughs> Lots of forms of magic just work on naming. I create the sigil of like goetic magic is like, I create the sigil of this demonic being and then I can command it because I can always throw the sigil in the fire. And you see this in fairy tales, you know, that you say Rumpelstiltskin and suddenly the being loses all its power. That's an Old Testament capacity. That's Adam in the garden naming this and naming this and naming this. But the New Testament capacity is loving. And that you can see is obviously <laughs> further down the road in development than just naming. And I think, <clears throat> so when you're encountering things with love, I want to talk about how to do that um, a little bit. What, I'm not really ready to talk about all of this yet, but one of the things that I've been really understanding recently is because I, I, I've been sort of focusing on how do I bring a kind of nourishment to all the aspects of what I encounter myself, but also the elemental kingdom, the angelic kingdom, my spirituality, other people. How do I distribute or circulate that kind of nourishment? And this is a new thing that I think is is being asked for us to do more and more. You th you think that if I just sort of like like let let's make that an exoteric process. You would think, well, if I just sort of give a little food here, give a little food there, you know, or, or I sort of commit, but it, it's not it's not like that. It's not redistribution it's if i'm if i go to me through my heart and i'm also discovering something that maybe i won't talk about but just to sort of leave it out there about the solar plexus um which is solar plexus means the intricate network of the sun which i love plexus and solar <laughs> it's very lovely when I go to my heart, and let me stop one more time to say, I understand that that's vague for some people. What does it mean to go to your heart? What, what do you mean? Just a feeling? The simple answer, I think, actually is kind of yes. If you just sort of receive experience through that center in the middle of your chest, that's a start. That's actually a really good way to begin, not with your physical heart, but just a sort of imagining of how you feel things in your chest. When I go there and 
whenever I'm encountering anything, say I encounter a difficult situation, or I do want to look at a tree and try to experience the spiritual being there, or I just want to kind of look out to the world with spiritual eyes. What happens weirdly is as I go in, it rays outward to the world. This I find very strange. So I'm not trying to sort of move the things around me in any way. I'm going to myself, it rays outwards. And when it rays outward, they come closer to me because they want to be in that light. And that includes everything. If you're having a difficult conversation with somebody, if you're looking at Again, if you're trying to do spiritual work and you're encountering a a question or whatever, you don't go at it directly. You go in and it rays out and then it comes to you in the form that it's meant to come to be in that light. And at the same time, you strengthen it, which is so fascinating. You strengthen its ability to be itself when you do that process. There's a lot more to say there about that, but I've been trying to articulate what that looks like for a long time now as you know, I go through this whole sort of arc of talking with people about, I don't really want to do magic anymore. I don't want to do hallucinogenic drugs. I don't want to do abundance manifestation stuff. It's not that I never will like even think about any of those things or what, but I don't, it's not the main thing that I want to do anymore. And actually I find when I do this, all those things actually come to me anyway, what I need actually shows up anyway. And in accordance with who I really am, instead of the distorted perception of what I need. And isn't that also fascinating? So that's part of what I want to talk about or, or what I want people to hear when we're saying going to the heart um, and giving out to, uh, not giving out in the Irish sense, which means scolding or uh, <laughs> costing someone, but giving out to the spiritual world is about going in and then the rain out that happens from that process. Yeah. I think that it, it, that's, that's a really wonderful way of not just um, experiencing, but being able to convey that to others because, you know, more and more we need to be able to bring ourselves to our own hearts, letting our words come from the heart, but the heart itself, even if we can't speak from that place, does bring this interconnection where you're not, as you say, dividing yourself up, but this rain out. And what I experience at times, which is really quite phenomenal, is that my heart feels like it is, so big at times that it's mm. too big. It, it's such a it's a growing force. So I, what you're saying there is so true that it it continues to grow through the process. And one of the things that um, uh, we're aware of through esoteric training is that what you gain from the sensory world in terms of your capacity to think and feel and act is minuscule compared to what you will gain by learning how to do all of that in the astral world. So if there's a benefit, a great benefit to the astral world, is that your capacity to hold greater heart forces grows through navigating your way through it 
And as long as we're not caught up there, we then look back and see, okay, I became more capable of mm. of working with growing my heart because I went through adolescence. And we all know that's an echo of adolescence, right? It, if adolescence is allowed to unfold healthily. Some, of course, it mm. can be the nightmare of diminishing them until they're in their late 20s. But if we allow those forces that want to unfold spiritually through the astral world, it is to grow your heart's capacity so that you can endure, sense, and begin to see in the spiritual world even more potent forces than even begin to that we're talking about now. But you couldn't manage that. You will be extinguished in your consciousness and being there if you didn't have the growth capacity that's only available to us when we've gone through the astral. So you have, we have to go through this kind of um, dip, very difficult phase. It will cause all sorts of liking and disliking and difficulty between people and ways because we don't understand our, half of what we're experiencing is the fallout of us unconsciously traversing this plane. But when humanity gets through this, its capacity for love will be so much greater mm-hmm. and then comes the extraordinary work wow yeah i mean there's a reason why it's called the last supper i mean there's lots of reasons why but one reason is it's not given to us to break pieces of ourselves off and give them to a bunch of other people that work was done what is given to us is a different task now and when you talk about going through and all the things that have, I mean, I've experienced like it just, uh, this is a very daily level, physical pain, irritation, desperation, anxiety. It's all been there. But the thing that's changed, which has been so profound as I've been exploring this, is that I realized as I realize that it's mine to deal with. And what I don't mean by that is the old way of thinking about it, which is like, well, just, you know, stiff upper lip and all that, you know, Um, just, just push it down, forget about it. But rather, oh, this is an aspect of this developmental process. And as you said, it's like, if you notice that in yourself, now you can think about what versions of that would be occurring in the political and economic and cultural spheres and in the social organism generally. They're going to look very big, but in some ways, <laughs> they're just part of your heart process too, you know? And it, it's it's not really a big deal in some way if you just say this is all this is all just part of my heart process okay you know and to the extent that you do that it makes a difference for everybody it makes a difference for everybody including the spiritual beings yeah in a way you're you're naming also one of the um sort of uh, archetypal learnings of that plane 
is responsibility, the true responsibility. Mm. And it gives you this ability to go into relationship with the things that come towards you and be responsible that they're in your sphere, not, oh, it's my fault, not, oh, it's your fault, mm. but actually here's, here's the piece of land I get to tend today. Here's the part of that realm that I get to love today. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and how difficult sometimes that is because certain things, certain blemishes come and you think, oh, I'll never be able to love that. But actually... Mm. That's the whole purpose of it, to grow our capacity for love. And, and unfortunately, that gets a little waylaid because what we think is love often gets turned towards this capacity for self-gratification, and that is the other diverting force. So from the materialistic force of let's make this world just like the earthly world and let's make ownership and power of others from it to the um, force of selfhood that makes it about how do I gratify myself more to working with the question that you brought before, what what does that realm want of us? What does the consciousness or the consciousness of beings want of us? And actually, if we go through this dynamic of recognizing them and relationship, it the, it is love, mm. ultimately. But not just that we give more out of our love, but as we learn to love, everybody grows in that process. And then from that, the results, one might think, could be spoken as redemption because through love, the greatest transformative force, Everything makes its way upwards. But you're not pointing to something that some people do and they think they know what they need. Like I think oh, I need to have such and such amount of money and such and such a person in my life or such and such. But actually I, I have to watch the persona's idea of knowing what it needs. Yeah. And this is the wonderful thing about the astral world. You just get all of that knocks back at you until you can really go into that relationship of what is needed here. Mm. And that becomes clearly about this relationship to love in its higher form, not not romantic love, but more the community or brotherhood love, sisterhood love, the 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 the, the, the love of loving the other because they are on the path. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it? It's funny. It, it, it's so funny. You know, the, 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 there are a few times that I just, well, maybe more than a few, but there are a bunch of times when I'm just like, I can't get on board with Rudolf Steiner. And one of them is his appraisal of psychoanalysis where he was just really angry at Freud and all that. And I, I understand because partially it affected his people he knew in a very adverse way. But the thing that Freud popularized with the wrong conclusion, but he popularized, which was so important was saying what you want is not what you want. Like you think, you know what you want and you think, you know who you are, but you don't, there's something else working here. Now to the point that it's like waylaid us in this weird realm of just getting stuck and thinking everything has a psychoanalytic explanation or the unconscious or whatever. Yeah, that's bad. 
However, I think that that has given so many people access to that concept that you just brought up. And I think it's really worthwhile. And then I think it's good that there are some people working on spiritual psychoanalysis. I was also thinking, you know, about how all the beings that come together to compose, to to do this sort of um, constitutive forces that make this body, which is a sacred address that I incarnate with and along with. All those forces, you know, (laughs) people look at, this is another, it's not sorcery, but it's one of those things. People look at all that and they're like, well, we need to give it organic food. We need to give it these kinds of supplements. We need to give it that because the body, you know, is the temple through which we do our work and all that kind of stuff. But what they don't do, is so interesting to me, and I was just getting this picture as you're talking, was they they don't say all these beings have come together to create this body. And if I just go into the world and pluck more like products of those beings and sort of, you know, put them in a certain changing process, processing them and adding whatever I need to, and then just throw it in there. It's still not addressing the agreement of incarnation between all those forces and those beings. And yes, of course, certain vitamins are going to be better than certain medications and all that kind of stuff. But you end up missing the point when you don't look at the fact that all of this is here for us, an act of absolute grace and service to us that should be returned to that spiritual world and the elemental kingdom, not just the physical world. So we can do more to put into our body so we can, I don't know, start, you know, do CrossFit or whatever the fuck, you know, (laughs) whatever it is that we want to do. So just thinking about that as well, just as the sort of vast plane of physical forces um, or material forces that um, create, you know, the physical narrative that we have. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a way, you're you're coming to something you talked about before, which is this this kind of lip service to the spiritual world changes when you get a foothold in your own spiritual growth. And you can no longer sort of bounce between um, ignoring that the spiritual world exists 90% of the week and 10% of the week you you remember it. And so what I hear in your thinking is that it's now starting to permeate all of your life in one shape or form, and that is really important because it means that it doesn't mean to say that you won't step into the persona and do your junk food story at times or all of those things it doesn't mean that at all it means you now know that behind the veil of sense appearance is another world and I don't forget that I don't forget that and that that is means you have a firm foothold and that changes something when a human being has a firm foothold because it means now that whenever they drop in or engage with someone, it, 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 oh, it's just there. 
even if you're talking to someone on a very mundane level of the facts of life, it still is with you and it has effect on how your heart is active in the space and that's having an effect on how the forces are active between you, even if what you're saying is about the price of gas and it's all Putin's fault. Yeah, no, and it isn't this, I mean, this is the, the, the new version of the Dominion story, right? This is why all the animals are included in Dominion, where we would think of that as, I was given to caretake the earth, but now talking about these beings and the astral plane and how the animals are these ambassadors from that plane, we're actually given to tend to care for and take care of in that dominion sense, the astral realm as well. And I mean, maybe next time you and I can talk about, you know, the etheric responsibilities we had and so forth, but we've been going for, I think it's over two hours now. So I think we should just bring it to a close here. And uh, I just, I'm going to say goodbye, but obviously stay on after I say goodbye to the listeners. Okay. I just want to thank you for going in all these uh, different (laughs) directions and also still just holding the thread with me. Lisa Romero, thank you so, so much. I've so enjoyed being with you today. (laughs) And thank you for any time. Let's speak. All right. And everybody, thank you so much for... uh, (laughs) for staying with us on this uh, wild journey to the moon and then to the sun uh, and then back (laughs) again. Uh, Thanks for listening. Bye now.